0: Somebody is swinging around pretending to be Thor and the God of Thunder is none too happy about it. Daredevil is in the sights of Milnor in the 47th episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. I am your host, J. David Weider. You can call me Dave. This week, we have an issue featuring Thor. You know, he's kind of a big deal thanks to that little uh, indie film Thor and, of course, Thor the Dark World, as well as, well, that mildly budgeted, low-grossing film Avengers and the upcoming Avengers Age of Ultron. So when you think of Daredevil, do you automatically think of Thor? No. No. But yet this happens, and this issue is pretty, pretty special in a lot of ways. But before we dive into this week's issue, a few things here and there. First off, coming in April, I am going to do a Netflix Daredevil special. Binge watch the whole thing. I'm going to release that separately. It was originally scheduled to be episode 51, but I realized the turnaround time on that was pretty tight, which ran a big risk of totally bombing and totally wearing me out. So it will actually be released on the 15th of April, which is a Wednesday between episode 51 and episode 52. So April 15th, Netflix Daredevil special. Now that segues to the next thing I want to talk about as far as what's coming up on the show. With Daredevil hitting Netflix, it's going to be bringing a lot of people into Daredevil. Their eyes are going to be on him, some for the first time, some reinvigorated, and things in between. So I'm going to do a series of episodes entitled Daredevil 101. That will be episodes 50 through 55. They're all first issues. So you can look forward to the Kevin Smith first issue, both Mark Wade number ones, Daredevil Dark Knights, and more. It's going to open these doors to the newer lapsed fans and giving them some good starting places. So Daredevil 101 begins in April. Now, with that is the added bonus that, with every episode, I'm going to be giving away a free digital copy of that week's issue directly through Comixology. To do that, it's very simple. When that episode comes out... You simply share it on the Facebook or the Twitter. You know, those newfangled social networks. Each share enters you in, and I pick a winner about midway through the week. So if you want some free digital Daredevil books, as well as some good, good material, look no further than episodes 50 through 55. That is upcoming on the show this week. Before we jump into the comic, the penultimate installment of my heartfelt defense, warts and all, and I have to preface that this week, with my heartfelt defense of the 2003 Daredevil movie. This week I talk a little bit about Electra. Again, we're talking warts and all. Because Electra was massively mishandled. I'm not sure who this character was with the name Electra, but it wasn't the Electra we know. Jennifer Garner was too fresh-faced. The things I looked forward to in her performance, well, they ended up backfiring. The biggest mishandling is there's no history between Electra and Matt. There's no college romance, they didn't know each other before they met in a coffee shop. This causes a big, big hole in the plot. Because the Electra Matt romance is the spine of that movie. It's the impetus that moves things along. Removing that background kind of destroys that. Now, there are two versions, of course, regular and director's cut. Now, in the regular version, they go on this pseudo date, and they're standing on a rooftop. It's raining, and Matt hears something. She says, stay with me, and he does. They do the deed. Well, that gets a little bit further down the road, but in the director's cut, Matt actually goes out to fight crime. Typically, I side towards the director's cut because it's more fleshed out. The characters resonate more. With this instance, either version, this is the biggest weakness in the movie. Now, Electra's death in the movie, spoiler, comes right off the comic page. But if you remove that foundation, that past, that pathos between these two, it means nothing. What it amounts to in the end is that there is no relationship between Matt and Electra. Not only did you remove the college romance, but they weren't on three dates. You have that playground fight, the rooftop talk, and then the party later in the movie, thrown by Electra's father. It just doesn't gel, and it causes a lot of Daredevil's motivations to fail. Now, had this character been named something else? Had this been Karen Page? Heck, had this even been Echo? The investment's not there. It's the fact that Elektra's name carries a lot of weight for Daredevil fans, and that relationship carried a lot of weight in the comic book itself. And it just didn't follow through, which causes a lot of the center of the movie to collapse on itself. It doesn't ruin the movie, doesn't destroy it. It just makes the movie shallow. Now, there is character development in the movie. It's not great. Matt's the only one that really develops. And it's supposed to be from these actions, and that still works. Just not in a fashion that would be as potent as it would be if there was a built-in past, which, really, when you think about it, comes down to a few pieces of dialogue. That's all that's missing. Oh, hey, Electra, I haven't seen you since college and we broke up. That's it. That's all you had to do, is just... Make out that these two have some sort of connection, that they were driven apart. You can still kill Electra's father in the present, and it still works. As long as you feel that these two have some kind of connection, because the whole thread for Matt is he doesn't open up. He's a man without hope. And that development is sort of bookmarked by the scene at the end where he and Foggy are at the coffee shop. This time, Matt is not dressed for court. He's dressed in T-shirt and jeans, which means he's opening up. He's making a connection with Foggy, which should have been existence from the beginning, but... Sometimes you make changes in order to have this through line. The through line still works. It's just not nearly as interesting. And all because Electra just wasn't made all that interesting in this movie. So it doesn't destroy the movie. But if we're being honest here, there's a big weakness to it that could have been fortified with what amounts to about 30 seconds of dialogue at the maximum. But next week, my finale and my heartfelt warts and all defense of the Daredevil movie, we talk about the villains. For the moment, I'm going to play a podcast for a show you should be listening to, because it's kind of a big deal. Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner are covering the entire Crisis on Infinite Earth saga on their show, Tales of the Justice Society of America, over on 2TrueFreaks.com. Please, take some time, listen to their episodes. They're meaty episodes, but darn it, are they worthwhile. So here's a promo for that show, and I'll be back in just a moment with Daredevil number 30.
1: Superman. Captain Marvel. Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2. Sergeant Rock. The Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commanding. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The new Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds Will Live. Green Era. Worlds Will Die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Aria, The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents and many, many more Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January
0: only at TwoTrueFreaks.com Welcome back. This week we are talking about Thor, as in the Mighty, the God of Thunder himself. Thor made his first appearance in Journey into Mystery number 83 from 1962, which, to kind of give you the Marvel time frame, would have been the same month as Amazing Fantasy 15, which introduced Spider-Man. Now, wanting to do a good episode and wanting to do my homework, I actually read many early Thor stories from that first appearance up to around issue 100, and I found them really, really odd. I'll be clear, this was more based on my expectations of what the stories would be rather than an actual critique. Because when you think of Thor, you think of epic epicness, Asgard, Odin, Heimdall, and the Rainbow Bridge. But these early stories really didn't have much of that. Really, you had Donald Blake, who was the alter ego, who finds a walking stick, turns into the hammer of Thor, and gets the power. I want to make sure I'm clear. Donald Blake has the power of Thor. So when he becomes Thor, he's Donald Blake with the power of Thor in these early stories, which kind of becomes inconsistent as these go on. Because to some extent he is Thor, to a lesser extent he's Donald Blake. It's very unclear, and I don't think Stan had this concept completely mapped out. Not in the way he had other stories mapped out. I mean, with Fantastic Four, there was a clear vision. Spider-Man was a clear story. The moral was very, very upfront. Great power, great responsibility, all of that. More surprising, though, was the villains that Thor fought. You saw more common villains than expected, alien enemies, things like that, and then Loki starts making appearances. That's when the issues really became good. Loki was the missing ingredient, a great nemesis that fits in with Thor's theme, which kind of piggybacks on what we were talking about with the Marauder trilogy, that your villains need to have something of the same cloth in them for them to work, for them to tick. Now, most of this confusion gets covered after the story we're covering this week, because Thor's origin was retconned to our more familiar idea that he was banished from Asgard for being conceited, and Blake was this created identity. What Donald Blake ended up being was this version of Thor, an alternate version, I should say, that was very much Thor, but in a human guise. All of Blake's memories, everything created by Odin. So it wasn't an accident that Donald Blake, quotation marks, found the hammer saying, whosoever lifts this hammer, if he be worthy, will gain the power of Thor. Okay, I'm going to be honest, I'm paraphrasing on that a bit. But Thor has a lot of power behind him. He's on a different level than Daredevil is, in a big, big way. I mean, he's super strong. He can control lightning and wind. He wields that hammer that grants him the power, Mjolnir. So on a, on a power scale, I mean, he's uh, he's a god. He's Superman level. Where Daredevil's more street level, he's good. Daredevil's great. But on a power level, sheer power he doesn't quite go toe-to-toe with Daredevil, so of course it makes sense for a street-level hero like Daredevil to meet up with the Mighty Thor. It worked for Namor. That turned out to be a good story. But this crossover happens in this week's issue, Daredevil number 30 from July 1967. It bears a Gene Colan cover in which the Mighty Thor spins his hammer towering over Daredevil, who is doing his best to avoid getting clobbered. In the background, the Cobra and Mr. Hyde approach the fight, waiting to take on just pretty much whoever walks away. It's a very busy cover. Thor is huge, and should be, it definitely sells the idea that Daredevil's in way over his head, again. You don't necessarily notice the villains in the background so much, because you have two heroes kind of going at it. Thor is very, very intimidating. It's a very motion-filled cover. You have Daredevil kind of wiggling his billy club ready to strike, not that that would do any good, but Thor's hammer's whirling around. It's it's gorgeous, but it definitely fills you with a little bit of dread if you're a Daredevil fan, because you look at it you just think, Sam Beckett's right. Oh boy. And the story within is entitled If There Should Be a Thunder God, written by Stan Lee, penciled by Gene Colon, inked by John Tartaglione, lettered by Artie Simic. It is reprinted in Essential Daredevil Volume 2, Trade Paperback, Marvel Masterworks Volume 41, which is Daredevil Volume 3 Hardcover. They're one and the same, they're just oddly titled. And it is available digitally on the Marvel app, Comixology app, and on the Marvel subscription service Marvel Unlimited. For the record, if you care about these things, I used both the Essential Daredevil Volume 2 as well as the Unlimited version, just to get a scale of color. And our story begins with Matt and Foggy in their offices. Foggy is recounting a report from the newspaper about a strange robbery. It appears a bank was broken into with no outside doors damaged, as if somebody slithered inside and let a powerhouse partner in to loot the place. Matt has a hunch, which he and Foggy research, They find a story about Thor battling a similar duo, Mr. Hyde and the Cobra, who must be the culprits. Meanwhile, Mr. Hyde and the Cobra knock over a pawn shop, making off with some valuables. Matt, in the meantime, has hatched a plan to make Hyde and Cobra come to him. He visits a costume shop where the greatest Thor costume ever rests. Matt slips on the Thunder God's duds and lines up his billy club with the hammer, the fake Mjolnir, to emulate flying. As a test of the costume's efficiency, Matt swings across the city to fool Karen and Foggy, who are nearly convinced. But Matt takes off the mask to reveal his other identity as Mike Murdock, and everybody has a laugh. Let's let's stop here and talk about the beginning of this story and what we've kind of gotten ourselves into. We jump in with riveting superhero research action. Because I know when I wanted to read superheroes, I wanted to see them in a law library, really researching what they do. Now, while that's a little bit snarky, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of refreshing at the same time. Because, yeah, sure, we see Batman investigating, but normally it's glossed over as much as possible. Here, we actually have a tangible, realistic way that Daredevil is putting the pieces together as far as who could be doing this. It's pretty much CSI before CSI. All it's missing now is Matt taking off his glasses and saying something snarky. So just who are... Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Well, Cobra first appeared in Journey into Mystery 98, which was part of my reading project leading up to this episode. You know what? His origin I cannot make up. Think Spider-Man, but more ridiculous. He was basically a lab assistant who murdered the main scientist, and to cover that up, he had himself bitten by a radioactive cobra. Using the antidote he survived, the main scientist didn't, but then he got snake-like powers. I should mention that his real name is Klaus Voorhees. I mean, is that not a great villain alternate identity? If there's a better one beyond Victor Von Doom, I've not heard of it. His partner, Mr. Hyde, first appeared in the next issue, Journey into Mystery No. 99. Hyde is actually Calvin Zabo, who was obsessed with the Jekyll and Hyde story, which apparently Stan Lee was too when you think about the Hulk factoring into this. But Zabo literally went out and created a potion from that story which initiated his change into Mr. Hyde. Super strong, super evil, basically everything bad. And these two actually partnered up shortly after their respective first appearances, and they've been bickering like an old married couple ever since. They're actually quite cute, to be honest with you. Just the way they go back and forth, trying to decide who's more valuable to this partnership. They also argue where they're going to vacation. Will it be sunny Orlando or Myrtle Beach? But of course, Matt's deciding he's got to go after them. I got to do something because Matt's a superhero. Let's be honest here. Matt is really not geared up for these two characters. Hyde is super strong and just relentless. Cobra, for as much as I want to laugh at Cobra, the idea that he has these snake-like powers as far as slithering, getting around, not only does it make it a pretty decent foil if he was just on his own for Daredevil, it also makes him really, really dangerous. And to give you context, let's think about this in a larger scheme. There are a lot of other heroes in New York, teams of them, The Fantastic Four, the Avengers. Why does Matt feel the need to take on Thor-level villains? It's simple. He's out to prove himself. You don't see that very often where he's very self-conscious about his superheroing. And yet, here we have it. The other side of the coin is Matt's a good guy. He's a superhero. He wants to do a good job. He wants to keep people safe. If these villains are putting people in danger, he wants to make sure that if there is something he can do, he does it. However, having said that, no matter how noble or how insecure his motivations are, his plan is ridiculous. He's going to dress up as Thor to bait them out and then fight them. Think about that. There's a lot of flaws to this plan. One, it's ridiculous just in concept. Two, if Hyde and Cobra are baited out thinking they're going to fight Thor, they're going to bring a power level and a plan that would take down Thor. Thor could have buildings dropped on him. He's fought things like the Mangog. If Hyde and Cobra try to strike on a level that would take Thor down, Matt's going to be turned into pudding. Now, that's not the only flaw. The costume itself. Now, clearly, Thor's costume is not like Daredevil's costume. Thor has an exposed face, he exposed arms, and he's quite a bit bigger. So what's the solution for this? Plastic. Over his Daredevil costume, he puts on plastic, skin-colored plastic. This actually happens, and the thing is, this isn't created by Reed Richards or somebody like that. This is something Matt buys at a costume shop. So somewhere in New York is a costume shop that sells the greatest Thor costume of all time. Although, let's also put this in perspective. Remember when Foggy went to a costume shop and got a Daredevil costume? and Gladiator turned out to be the costume owner, there's a track record of this not working out well on that level as well. I love that Matt refers to Thor as a razzle-dazzler. Razzle-dazzler. It sounds like Hamburglar is describing Thor. Now, one note of interest that I don't think I've ever brought up on the show, that not only stands as a neat character detail, but kind of a a telling aspect of Matt, is that Matt is left-handed. Lots of research have gone into the idea of people who are left-handed. Scientists have shown that And science may vary, of course, but left-handed people have a higher risk of psychosis, schizophrenia, things like that. We're talking about a man who who actually puts on a devil suit, takes on that identity of daredevil, turns around, creates an alternate identity of his own twin, who is actually that superhero who's really him. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. Also interesting is left-handed people hear sound differently. As in speech, left-handed people will hear consonants, minute details, where most... Right-handed people will hear syllables, which fits in with the way Matt perceives things. Before the accident, Matt was primed, already, to kind of operate as a blind man. Left-handed people have been shown to be better at face-to-face sports, like boxing or tennis. Boxing stands out because, well, Matt's father was Jack Murdoch, a boxer. I have not seen where Jack has been proven to be left-handed, but it still stands as a thin but interesting idea. But the thing that really stands out for me is left-handed people are shown to feel things like fear and embarrassment and anger a little bit more than right-handed people. Their emotions are more vibrant, which kind of shows with Matt's compassionate ability as well as things like Karen. He feels these emotions and it's so overwhelming. And yeah, he's kept at bay by the Daredevil concept. But at the same time, I wonder if these emotions, if he's feeling it so strongly, he can't act. Much like if, if somebody used sound against his heightened senses. What if emotionally, just by nature of his makeup, he's just so overwhelmed by emotions he's not able to act? What if that is a big aspect to what keeps him away from Karen more than the Daredevil thing? It definitely puts things in new light as far as the Karen foggy Matt love triangle. Definitely some things to think about, but I'm not going to dwell too long on those um because I have one nitpick. I mentioned Daredevil lines up his billy club alongside of the hammer. And that way he can shoot his line out and swing and appear to be flying. However, looking at the image, and again, this is very nitpicky. The way he has it lined up is it goes straight up the side of the hammer and then the line curves around the hammer. So along the bottom of the hammer and then up the side of it so it flies out. Now, maybe I ruined things by overthinking it because, again, this is a fun issue. It's a goofy issue. But I keep looking at it and thinking it just doesn't work that way. The line would shoot straight out. So what it would basically do is shoot up the side of the hammer, hit the bottom, and then basically bounce back. But comic book physics are not real world physics. So it works. Daredevil swings around. And again, Stan seems to be on his game thinking through the way Daredevil's power set works. Because he talks about the cape muffling the sounds that he normally uses to ping off of to get his location. That's some good logic, actually. Stan could have... Stood did not have that in there, and we would have been fine. We wouldn't have thought too much about it. At least I wouldn't have been. I've been nitpicking over this for quite a while. That's a very logical thing. A big sheet flapping in the wind? That sound is not only closer to Matt, so he hears it a little bit more prominently than others, but the shape of the cape would block out... Well, when swinging, it blocks out pretty much everything behind him. But apparently, this costume is so convincing that Karen and Foggy completely believe that Thor is coming to visit the offices bear in mind, they're right up close. So the plastic muscles would probably stand out. Wouldn't there be a reflection of some kind? I I laugh at it. I enjoy it. But if you really put too much logic into it, it becomes an eye roller. So where's the line? Where's the line of responsible critiquing and just having fun with an issue? Well, I've never been able to judge that properly. So when in doubt, if I see an opportunity to have fun with it, I'm going to run with that idea. And yet we have this huge conundrum with Matt coming in, pretending to be Thor. Because essentially what you have is Matt being the guy, pretending to be the twin brother, who's pretending to be Daredevil, pretending to be Thor. Did you follow that? Or do I need to put up a wall chart? Because, darn it, sometimes it just gets confusing. But with Matt flying around, pretending to be Thor, he hasn't baited out a single enemy yet. Somebody else has noticed. So let's jump into the second leg of the story and talk about that. Elsewhere in New York, Dr. Donald Blake learns that somebody is impersonating Thor as reports of Matt swinging reach him. Blake strikes his walking stick on the ground and becomes the Mighty Thor, and Thor takes to the skies to search for his impersonator. And it doesn't take long for Thor to find the costume Daredevil, and a fight naturally ensues. But Daredevil might be outmatched as Thor creates a strong wind that rips the faux Thunder God costume off of the man without fear. And now Daredevil stands revealed, and he explains that he is on the trail of Mr. Hyde and Cobra. Thor scoffs at the idea of Daredevil taking on two powerful foes, so Daredevil does the most logical, sensical thing. He invites Thor to fight to test his mettle, and round two is set to begin. Before we jump into round two, let's talk about what just happened, because it's a whirlwind of events. Essentially, Donald Blake hears on the radio that somebody is flying around New York. Who looks like Thor? Thor. The question I have is, why would this be newsworthy? Thor lives in New York. It's a typical day. In fact, your workday is just not complete until you see Thor or Captain Marvel or Captain America, somebody swinging through. There's that many heroes in New York, you're bound to trip over one of them. But of course, we want to get Donald Blake into conflict with Daredevil. So while I pick at that, it's also the most logical way to move Donald Blake into Thor and go forward. And, you know, even here, the line between Donald Blake and Thor ebbs and flows. Because now, Stan has started adding the very old-school English-style dialogue to Thor. Thou art a villain. I would have words with thee. So, is this a translation in the Thor form? Is this also Thor, who is a separate entity from Donald Blake? I mean, certainly we're going to find out later they're one and the same. But, at this stage, I can only imagine that kids would be a little bit confused. And, you know, normally... I speak highly of Gene Colon and his artwork, and I will continue to do so. But lest it be said that I am unfairly, positively biased towards Gene Colon, I will make a point that in the earlier part of this issue, as Thor is flying, Thor, as drawn by Colan, looks awkward. In fact, if you look on page 10 of the story, which the page numbers are on almost every reprint I've seen, Thor looks downright cross-eyed. Colon takes a minute to get all the proportions right, which is weird. Because when he's drawing Matt as Thor, it works. It just looks like Thor swinging, which may say something about the way Colin approaches this. Maybe he's developed this muscle memory of how Matt moves, how Matt is built. By drawing Matt as Thor, he kind of knows where he's at. He feels more comfortable with that concept, which is why the Matt as Thor scenes come out fine. But when Thor actually shows up, Colin is really working on a separate character and trying to give him a different set of movements and stances so while i'm critiquing that his thor is awkward i also see the craftsmanship behind it that gene colon has become so entranced and so ensconced in daredevil he just knows how to draw the guy in any set of clothes and of course the inevitable happens thor meets matt as thor and it's a perplexing set of panels as these two are fighting each other Because you have to look so closely at the action. Now, normally your storytelling rule is, with art, you should be able to remove the dialogue and follow the story. And yeah, you would be able to get that Matt's dressed as Thor, but who's who? Because you lose track after about the first panel. And you know, I gotta say it again about this costume. I don't know if ILM or Weta or the Henson Company made this costume, but even Thor is thrown by it. So you almost have to wonder, well... Did a villain create this? Is this something more than just a regular costume? Or is Dave overthinking it again? Probably the latter. And Daredevil's kind of separated from the fight, and even then realizes how ridiculous his plan is, even though he's keeping the costume on. You know, here's a plan. If it were me, and the Thunder God's coming after me, because I'm impersonating him, I would strip off that whole costume, get down to my Daredevil costume, and when Thor shows up, go, oh, he went that way. And then get the heck out of Dodge. Instead, Matt sticks around, And Thor removes the costume via a tornado, a gale force wind, which rips off the entire Thor costume, however, it leaves the Daredevil costume intact. So the Thor costume is destroyed, Daredevil costume is fine. First, good luck getting that deposit back, Matt. Second, not even a rip in the Daredevil costume? These are gale force winds. I don't know that Thor can really focus it that much. But instead of just putting his hands up and saying, hey, look, look, okay, you take on your villains. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go deal with Mr. Fear or the owl. Matt decides to actually provoke an already pissed off Thunder God. And I thought Matt was smart. So Matt calls down the thunder. See what I did there? And the fight begins. So let's talk about round two as we jump into the final leg of Daredevil number 30. The second round begins with Thor trying to land powerful blows, but Daredevil outmaneuvers him. Thor is impressed, but warns Daredevil not to wear the Thor costume again and then flies off to tend to other things. But even as Daredevil frets at the challenge of finding Mr. Hyde and Cobra, well, the two villains actually just show up on the scene. How convenient. Much like he battled Thor, Daredevil relies on dodging the massive blows of Hyde and Cobra's sneaky moves. However, Cobra does manage to stun Daredevil with a zap to the back, but Hyde insists on not finishing him off, because he has a better plan. The two leave, luring Daredevil to follow them back to a secret lab where Hyde mixes a concoction. Daredevil arrives just as the police surround the house, but Hyde splashes the chemical on Daredevil's eyes. While Daredevil reels from the chemicals, Hyde and Cobra escape through a trapdoor, and Daredevil momentarily recovers. But he is blind. No radar sense, no enhanced senses. Mr. Hyde's formula has rendered Daredevil truly helpless and truly blind. And so ends Daredevil number 30 on a cliffhanger. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you hanging. But let's go back to this fight with Thor and Daredevil. It begins with Thor obliterating a tree, destroying it. And and I really, I cannot oversell this. So let me say it this way. Where a mighty oak once stood, there are splinters now. The reason I can't oversell this, the reason it's important is that could have been Daredevil's head, which is much less dense from a tree. He could have had his head knocked the off. What are you thinking, Daredevil? And the weird thing is, the guy with the hammer, the cape, and the winged helmet ends up being the logical one because he says, I don't want to hurt you. Let's talk. That's right, the warrior thunder god is trying to say, Hey, Matt, dude, dude, I could basically turn you into tapioca. Let's let's think this through. And Matt is still going. The whole fight is a penis-sized match to prove that Daredevil can take on Hyde and Cobra. Well, Matt, zip up your pants. There are other superheroes in New York Nobody is actually assigned a specific villain. This isn't the Venture Brothers where you have to arch one person. Let Thor handle this. But the fight continues and Daredevil earns Thor's respect, much like he did with Namor. So Daredevil has Thor's blessing to fight Hyde and Cobra. Again, why are we fighting for the opportunity to get into a fight? You know, Matt has enough on his plate as a lawyer and as a regular superhero with his own limited rogues gallery. Why would you seek out more villains to fight, and fight another superhero to do so? It's, you know, it's it's campy, and I like it as that, but if I really try to put too much logic into it, it hurts my brain. Admittedly, this is a weird way to have Thor appear, and the appearance is sadly limited. I wanted a little bit more of that, a little bit more camaraderie, but Thor flies off, and suddenly you remember, oh yeah, there are villains in this issue. So they show up and... You know, Daredevil is persona non grata to them. They're looking for Thor, but at the same time, Hyde's motivation is kind of logical. It's kind of smart. They decide they're going to destroy Daredevil to remove a future annoyance. Which kind of makes it sound like Daredevil is a silver medal to Thor, but by the same token, Thor is capable of obliterating trees. Matt's strong, but he's never going to be obliterate a tree strong. And to illustrate how outmatched Daredevil really is, it's only Daredevil's reflexes that save him from being turned into basically a red suit with Gogurt inside of him. And he, he's, he's in a place where he could have been killed, yet, yet Mr. Hyde decides, no, no, let's not kill him when we have this ample opportunity. Let's not do that. Let's do something more convoluted. And Cobra's being basically Scott Evil to Mr. Hyde's Doctor Evil.
2: I want you to meet daddy's nemesis, Austin Powers. What, are you feeding him? Why don't you just kill him? (sighs) No, Scott, I have an even better idea. I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. Why don't you just shoot him now? I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang! Dead. Done. One more peep out of you and you are grounded, mister, and I am not joking.
0: So they lead Daredevil back, and Daredevil, on his own part, casually waits to attack until the moment that Hyde's formula is ready because it just wouldn't work otherwise. At least he's a considerate hero. I'm going to hang back and let Dr. Hyde finish his mixing, and when his Kool-Aid's ready, then I'm going to attack. The pacing's a little bit off in the latter part of the issue, but again, Colin typically would draw wherever his muse took him and then realize, crap, I've got a responsibility to the story. And so that's why it seems to rush right up to the minute. And then we have this great cliffhanger. Admittedly great. And it actually picks up well. Because Daredevil's now really blind. Now I said I wouldn't leave you hanging. So what happens from here is Daredevil tries to bluff Hyde and Cobra. Trying to convince him that he can still see. He's doing things like walking on tight ropes and trying to show up. Foggy's trying to help. But really in the end, Daredevil just ends up getting kidnapped in issue 31. And this continues into issue 32. Where basically Daredevil's taken to the lighthouse that Hyde and Cobra are using for a hideout. Daredevil, in the scuffle, manages to get his hands on an antidote. Think about that. Hyde made an antidote. Why would you make an antidote to something that's supposed to cripple your enemy? If you're out to really destroy Daredevil, you're going to blind him. You're going to create something so weak that you can just crush him. Why would you have an antidote? Oh, wait. Hyde's smarter than that. What if Hyde accidentally forgets to wear his safety glasses and gets it in his eyes? Okay. I'll take that no prize. I'll run with it. But either way, Daredevil gets his senses back. A fight ensues and Hyde gets away, leaving Cobra behind. This isn't the most healthy of team-ups in terms of villains. Hyde and Cobra, I mean, again, they bicker like a married couple. And when the going gets tough, Hyde gets the F out of Dodge. Hyde may be the smart one, but eventually these two keep going and renew their partnership. Still arguing over Orlando or Myrtle Beach, though. They can never decide on that. So, overall... What is the final verdict on Daredevil number 30? As misguided as this story might be, the wackiness, the sheer audacity of it, takes it to a whole new level. It plays with the idea of pop art. And even though modern-day Daredevil fans may dismiss it as an eye-roller or just absolutely ridiculous, you sit down and you have fun. I mean, again, it's ridiculous. Not only does Matt decide to proactively seek out two villains that A, he has no personal connection to, B, he has no power set to really combat, but he also chooses to do so, donning a full Thor costume to bait them out to attack him. Again, it's misguided because you have Thor taking on Matt, basically to decide who's going to fight the villains, who right now they can't even locate. Here's the thing about this issue, I'm going to really boil this down to a single statement. When reading this issue, you can either sit there and facepalm at its ridiculousness or fist bump at just how wacky and fun it is. It's a simple decision when you sit down and open that cover. You can choose to laugh, or you can choose to grouse. I chose to laugh, and I ended up enjoying it immensely. Just the sheer concept and what this story really gets away with is pretty impressive. And really, as the issue progresses, even though his Thor began really awkward, you see Colin get used to depicting Thor. And of course, his Daredevil's top shelf, as I mentioned, even in the Thor costume, matt's mannerisms and his personality shine through you can still identify him and plus daredevil gains the respect of a peer well let's be honest he gains the respect of a superior since thor is an avenger and a god and regardless of the wackiness of the story that aspect the fact that matt has gone up against namor and earned namor's respect as a rival if not a fellow superhero And also, done the same thing with Thor, should show a lot of character in what Matt does. Matt may not have the powers that Thor does. He may not even be on Spider-Man's level, but when Matt decides to be a hero, each and every time, he steps up to a level that most men are not capable of. So regardless of whether his senses work, whether his mission is to protect Hell's Kitchen, or to go up against wacky sci-fi people like Masked Marauder, Matt, the man inside the costume, is the important part. And the things that drive Matt are worthy of respect. If there's a message in this issue, it's that. And that's a really good message if you love Daredevil. Which was really what makes this issue stand out, beyond the wackiness. And here is where I would normally read your emails. I have some in the inbox. I intended to read it. I even talked about it last week. However, what I did not plan on was the huge amount of spam that is in that inbox. It's become ridiculous. Plague of Locusts. Ridiculous. So I am going to get to your emails, but it's going to take me a little bit to clean out that spam because it is insane. So I do apologize for that. Sincerely, I will get an email episode out. I may do a full grab bag episode at some point may come off, but it will not be this week or next week since these are being recorded back to back. So once again, I do apologize. I will bring emails back. That's my promise. But without emails, that brings us to an end of another episode. Next week, six villains are out for Daredevil's head, and the Man Without Fears' first annual is afoot. That is in seven short days. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark.
2: He is the one, they call a man without fear. Never far away, whenever is near.
0: You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Or stream it on the Stitcher app, which gives you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted to dave at daredevilpodcast.com or through the website's handy contact form. The show is on Facebook. Simply search for Dave's Daredevil Podcast. And I am on Twitter as well. My username is at Dave Weeder. is spelled W E T E R. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists solely for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.
2: Oh, he must hide his sadness and...